0: Take our Bibles, turn to First Peter chapter three. Why don't we stand for the reading of the Word of God? Just to stretch one more time. <clears throat> it is amazing the things that God does. Uh, I was thinking this morning as we were worshiping together, and I looked over at the drums and I saw Sam Safford there at the drums. It's about a month ago, right? It was a month and two days. About a month ago that Sam was in the hospital uh, getting two rods put right up his back. And um, amazing, amazing. And now he's back on the drums. And uh, it was, it's just wonderful to see God's grace. It's terrific. First Peter chapter 3, I'd like to read verses 8 through 12. That's the text that we're in this morning. <clears throat> and here's what uh, Peter says. To sum up. All all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing, for the one who desires life to love and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil, and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Our Father in God, it is just such a joy to rejoice and see the things that you are doing in and among our lives and our people, your people, Father, and and such a joy to be able to use music and giving and interaction as a way of just uh, showing our appreciation and our love for you and being reminded of all that you've done. And we thank you for the privilege of having the Word of God. Many have sacrificed their lives through the years so that we could read the Bible today as common folk, and we thank you for that. And as we open it up, we pray that the Spirit of God would lead and guide to help us to understand your message through Peter, and that, Father, it would be practical to our living and interaction as a people. So we commit our study of the Word of God to you, and pray these things with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. After teaching and instructing believers who they are in Christ, as this epistle has progressed, Peter moved into talking about how as believers in Christ we are to behave though we have a heavenly citizenship here in our citizenship on earth, if you will, and how we are to interact with one another. And he began that study in this epistle by dealing with general behavior as a believers among those that we live with and then he progressed into specific areas of behavior particularly in the household and in those areas he dealt with slaves that was those who were managing another man's affairs and were in the home and basically a hired servant and then he talked about wives and husbands and last week or in that someone mentioned to me last week that We should have that study once a year just to remind us. I think we needed more than that as husbands and wives to remind us of the things that we're supposed to be doing. But nevertheless, Peter went into the specifics of how in our household we should be behaving though we belong to the Lord so that we can be a testimony for Christ. And now he will address the body of believers as our interaction basically with one another. And I'll give you the bottom line right now and then we'll study the text together as he presents it. But the bottom line for us as believers, and I ask you to ask yourself, how well are you doing at this? And how well am I doing at this? The bottom line is to pursue unity. It is for each of us to be pursuing unity, harmony, and peace within the body of Christ. I would say as a whole, the body of Christ worldwide is not doing too good a job. But that is what we are called to do. The expectations are given to us in verses 8 and 9. And we want to take a look at those that he's addressing, first of all, though I've told you who it is, as we begin to look at verse 8. He says, uh, to sum up. Now, right away, we look at this word, to sum up. Is he dealing with a conclusion? Is he dealing with a transitional verse? A number of commentaries take different positions on this. Is this the same as the word furthermore as it is used in scripture? Is it the idea of finally, where he's drawing everything uh, to a finish point? Uh, How do we understand this? It's important to the text. The word comes from the Greek word telos. That's the word that's used here. There are a number of different words that are used as we find the English here. But that's the word that's used here. And the word means the end. It means the goal that has been reached. It means the outcome of all that has been taught. The result. That is what the word really means. And in fact, it's interesting. I believe that's what he means here. What is the outcome of all of this? What is the result of all of this? And in fact, it's translated that way in a number of passages of scripture, one of which we've already studied. If you go back to First Peter chapter 1... He used this expression in verse nine, when he said this, obtaining the outcome. It's the same exact word, tell us that we're seeing here in chapter three. And for some reason it was translated one way in the English here and different later on. But it's obtaining the outcome of your faith. What is the outcome? What is the goal that has been reached of your faith? That is, he says basically there, the salvation of your souls. I'd just like you to compare to another passage. Go with me to Romans chapter 6. Because it's going to affect what I say to you in a moment. Even our understanding of these opening words that he has to say. In Romans chapter 6, verses 21 and 22. Tremendous passage of scripture dealing with the grace of God. And how uh, grace abounded greater than all of our sin. And he's going on in teaching. And then he comes to verse 21, the Apostle Paul says this Therefore, what benefit were you then uh, deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? And here it is for the outcome, it's the same exact word, and you see it's used that way again for the outcome of those things, or uh, the result is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive. Uh, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. And here it is again. The outcome of this is eternal life. And so I think you can begin to see just by comparing with a couple of passages. I won't turn there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11 in verse 15, it uses the English expression, expression as whose end is this. The outcome of this is that. Uh, and in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, it uses the word "goal." And so I bring all of that up. Why is all of that important? In our text, when he says to sum up, he's dealing with the outcome. He is dealing with this is the result. And who is he addressing? You notice he says all of you. So we're back in 1 Peter chapter 3. The result or the outcome for all of you, all of who. He has been addressing believers. Let's not mistake that. So if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking to you. He's talking to me. And the point of the matter is this, right away, that Peter, as he's been teaching these people, his point is that believers, while they are staying on earth, are to recognize, again, this is not our home. And whatever we do, whatever we are involved in, we represent Christ by our behavior in the world. In other words, whether he's talking about slaves, whether he's talking about wives, whether he was talking about husbands, the result of everything that he's been teaching when he's been saying, submit, submit, know your role, understand it, and live for Christ in the role. The outcome of what he's been trying to get across to them and will continue to do is that, yes, we belong, and we can't wait till we get back to our home in heaven. We belong to Christ. However, we are here, and whatever we're doing as believers, we are to see that the result is our behavior in all of those areas are to reflect that heavenly relationship within the means of the roles that we're playing at the time. And now he is moving out of the household into just the generalities of how we are behaving as believers as a whole with one another. So the, the outcome of belonging to Christ and living here on earth is that all of us now, all of us as believers, and he's going to explain it in verses 8 and 9 by dealing with two things. Watch it as we study. One, our attitudes. And secondly, he will deal with the way we respond to circumstances. So he's going to deal with our attitudes, and he's going to deal with our responses. He starts off in verse 8 here saying the outcome really of all the believers is this. Here is what should be found, and he's going to deal with five adjectives right away to deal with the attitudes that he's talking about. And what are the attitudes to be? You know, I've read, there's a number of books that are this way, To be this, be that, be this, be that, be this. Well, here Peter is saying it. He is saying the outcome of belonging to Christ and living here on earth for all believers is to be these things. And he deals with five adjectives. What is it that we ought to be? And how are we to behave? One with another. How am I to behave with you? How are you to behave with one another across this room? How are we to behave with believers? Not just in a family environment, but as as believers. Number one, he says, all of you, be harmonious. Be harmonious. Not a word that I usually talk with. and, And we might say the word harmony, but what do you mean be harmonious? This is the word that means this. Be of the same mind. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for believers to have the same mind. Literally and I love this word, to think the same. We ought to be thinking the same way. Let me just stop before I even expand on this and ask you, how good is your thinking as believers? Are we in harmony in our thinking? You say, well, I have all kinds of differences. Well, hold on. That's not really what he's getting at. He wants us to be of the same mind. What is this, being of the same mind? What is this to have the same thinking? It is basically this. He wants us to see that the whole, in the body of Christ, the whole, is more important even than the individual. What's really important is the whole body. What's really important is the big picture, not the little picture. What's really important is that the body of Christ is more important. It's made up of individual members, And listen, every individual member is very important, but it is collectively as a body how we ought to be functioning that should be the focus and center of our attention. To be very specific and to amplify it hopefully a little bit. It is not just me and my ministry. You know, just a moment ago I dismissed some teachers and children to another room. You know, they can get so focused just like I can or we can in here on what's going on here or what's going on in the Christian growth classes or what's going on in the small groups. And we can all get focused in on our little area of ministry. That is not to be the primary focus. All of those things should be functioning together for a bigger picture so that we see that that's important. What is it? We had to serve God together. We had to be serving, listen, one another. That is to be the focus. We had to be in harmony in that area. It is just the opposite of what society teaches us today. It is just the opposite of every tool that's almost available to us today. And I left mine in my office purposely so it wouldn't go off. You know, we got iPhones, we got uh, my Facebook, we got my this, we got I this, and everything's about me, myself, my interest, my program, my ministry. If that is the focus of the local body, if that is the focus of the body of Christ, you know what we're going to have? Disharmony. You know what we're going to have? Fighting and division. Division. And oftentimes, the fighting and division that takes place is because we don't have the same thinking. We don't have the focus of attention. Now, this does not. We talk about having the same mind. In no way is Christ discouraging individual uniqueness. We are unique. We are individual. In fact, we've been made that way. And we've been placed in the body that way. Nor is he discouraging... Or putting down the fact of we are uniquely gifted. Because individually, excuse me, the scriptures teach that we have different gifts in the body of Christ. He's emphasizing something else. That even within individual uniqueness, even within individual giftedness, even within that concept... We all need to see the bigger picture of why we're doing what we're doing, why we've been given the gifts that we've been given, and why we are to function, and why we are meeting here together. We're going to have the same mind. The emphasis is really on unity of the body. It's on the harmony and the thinking the right way. And it's the very verses that are on the side of this building and those are the first things that we moved into this building that we put up here. And we look at them, and you know I've even had that said to me. You know we have those verses, but we're not functioning that way. Why? Because we don't have the same mind. Often, go with me to Philippians chapter two. That was the responsive reading. When he talks about harmonious, what are, what is he talking about? What does he want us to do? Well, here it is, and I think it's practical. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, it's a conclusion. If there is any encouragement in Christ, you belong to Christ, and is there any encouragement? If there is any consolation or compassion of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, we say we're having fellowship. If any affection, compassion, make my joy complete, how do I do that, Paul? By being, here it is, by being of the same mind. Be thinking the same way. What is it? Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. is not just the purpose of my program. It's not just the purpose on me. It's not just the purpose on this particular area. But it's here we're to glorify, specifically as a church, it should be we're here to glorify Christ. And as we're functioning, to put the attention on him, not on us. To see other people come to Christ. And he goes on and, and expands on it. Do nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd have to confess before you, I don't even operate this way all the time. To do nothing from selfish or empty conceit? You say, well, I always operate that way. I hope you do. That's how we ought to operate. He's practical. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. Let's be honest. Isn't our lives usually centered around our own personal interest? What I can get, whether I like... People come and visit churches, I'm being honest, as a pastor of over 35 years, I have seen this over and over again. People pick and choose churches this way, right? I have young children, is this church going to meet my need in my children? Well, it should, but is that the only thing you're looking for? I have uh, college and career age kids, is it, how's the college and career age group? Of course you should want to know that. But is that all you're centered on, whether it meets your interest? Shouldn't we be centered on things more and greater than that? i tell you where it should start. Is the word of God preached accurately? Is the word of God being taught? Because if it's not, everything else is going to fall apart. You might have the greatest music program. You might have the greatest team ministry and be being taught a lot of false truth and you're in trouble. And you might have everybody going their own ways and nobody knows what, I, what one another is doing. Nobody's praying for one another. Nobody's praying for direction. There's no even goal for the church. You see? And that's what he says. He said, look it. We're not to be just looking out for our own. It doesn't mean you don't have personal interests. But don't just be centered on that. And he goes on and he says, of oh, humility, you mind, regard one another as more important than ourselves. That's honestly hard to do. It goes against our nature. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I'm the program director? Don't you know that I... Wait a minute. And my ministry is the most important. I go in, I put in all these hours, and nobody else is even understanding. No, because all your focus isn't on you. We need to have an understanding that our mind needs to be looking at a big picture here. Do not merely look on your own personal interests, but also on the interest of others. And if you don't think that's the attitude that Christ had, look at verse 5. Having this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And here he is God, and what did he do? He had an interest of satisfying the Father, and he saw the picture, the whole picture, and he was willing to even take on flesh. Even to the extent, it says in the passage, of the cross of Calvary, that, my folks... Is humility, and that, my folks, is understanding what harmony is even among the Godhead, that he could lay his personal interests aside and do that of the Father. We ought to start that way as a body, and, and how are we doing? Are we really focused in on what Christ is doing and the overall picture and being concerned about harmony? In case you don't think it's important, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go there. Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I love this passage. Why? Watch. He has just spent three entire chapters dealing with doctrine. After he does, he comes into a conclusion. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, therefore what? What? Therefore, based upon the fact that you've been called since the foundation of the world, you have all these blessings in Christ, you have the down payment of the Holy Spirit, you were dead, now you're alive, all that he's been teaching in these chapters, and he says this, as a person of the Lord, I implore you, now walk in a manner that's worthy of that calling. Let's see it in the life. Now watch. In which you have been called. How do I do that? With all humility, gentleness, with patience, with patience, Showing tolerance for one another. In love, watch verse 3. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, we don't make unity. It is the Holy Spirit that does that. But we are to diligently. Am I, let me ask you this, and ask myself this. Am I diligently involved in seeking to have unity and harmony in the body of Christ as much as I am diligent in taking care of my program, my ministry. I think oftentimes you would have to say no. And then he goes on to say there's one body, there's one spirit, you're called in one hope, and you see the oneness, the oneness, the oneness. Even in the Godhead. And what is he talking about? Being harmonious. I have some other passages, but I think those two, for Philippians and Ephesians, you get the point. When he starts off, he says, I want all of you to be harmonious. I put it this way, whether it helps or not. Whatever God has called us to individually, and he has, must be in harmony with what he has called us to do collectively. And I think that's Peter's point. Whatever he's called you to do, however he's gifted you, it is basically... Whatever those individual gifts are and how we had to function individually, it's a call so that the whole body would be harmonious. And I think the Church of Jesus Christ would do well to pay attention to that. So the the goal is for all of us to be functioning in harmony. Second, we had to be sympathetic. What is that? Sharing one another's feelings. That's the idea of sympathy. And that's what the word means. The word that's used here means to be sharing one another's feelings. When something is happening to somebody else, it is as if it is happening to us. Let's be realistic. Oftentimes we hear about prayer for people that are sick. We hear about circumstances that are coming in people's lives, trials that people are facing. And we listen and we pray for them, but do we really feel for it? Or many times we even come to a service like this and then we go our way and it has very little effect on us. You know what we're called to do? We're called to rejoice with those who rejoice. Let me try that one. When you see a person that's blessed and you see something in their life, do you rejoice? Or do you become jealous? I should have got that. I deserve that. Why can't that happen to me? You know where that's a challenge, by the way, young folks? In your house. When you see a sibling that's blessed, and the tendency is to hold it all inside, but you're jealous rather than turning around and rejoicing with the fact that they got an award or they achieved something. It's not easy, but that's what we're called to do. When people are sad, we shouldn't. I've had literally seeing Christians turn around and say well I'm glad that happened they needed to see that happen what kind of sympathy is that rather than turn around and say boy that happened boy I feel that when people are suffering it's as if it was happening to me that's how the body of Christ is to function you don't think so go with me to Romans chapter 12 Romans chapter 12 In Romans chapter 12, verse 15. What does it say? Rejoice when? Come on. With those who rejoice. That's sympathetic. They're rejoicing, so I'll rejoice with them. Praise the Lord that happened. And then what? Weep with those who weep. That's what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Quickly look at it. Verse 26. Verse 26. Most of you have some type of app anyway, and you're probably there before I am. First Corinthians, which is good. There's nothing wrong with that. First uh, Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 26. Right? It says, "And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it." Can you imagine how? Let's start this way. Fellowship Bible Church would be if we were really functioning this way. Boy, somebody had an answer to pray. Praise the Lord. And really rejoicing in someone else's sad and we're all entering into that. Can you imagine how the body of Christ would be in New England? This, how do I describe New England? Um, What? Carefully, Carefully. okay. (laughs) You know, we don't even talk to one another. We don't even want to enter into one another's lives, let alone rejoice with somebody. Are you kidding me? We don't even know our neighbors. You know where I'm going. But can you imagine how New England would be? Wow. Be like another country. And then all around the world, that's how the body of Christ is to function. And by the way, let me just, I won't turn for time. Isn't that what Jesus Christ did? You say, what are you talking about? What happened when he entered in and he came back and, and Lazarus was dead? It's the shortest. Listen. Here's a challenge for all you theologians. It's the, ch- it's the shortest English verse in the Bible. It's not the shortest Greek. It's the shortest English word uh, verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And I've heard all kinds of explanations. He just wept because he was looking at the people, and I believe because the Lord had compassion. He wept. Everybody knows the story of the, uh, the Good Samaritan, right? Everybody else just, I'm too busy. Get out of my way. Get out of here. Then you get a guy who comes along. He's not even what people thought he should be religiously. He takes the guy, washes him up, heals his wounds. I get a busy schedule, but it's not as important as this. You know, I did what I can from him. Hey, by the way, here's some money. Cover it. If it's not enough, let me know. I'll take care of it. That's sympathetic. That's what he's calling us to. We ought to be harmonious. We ought to be thinking the same way. I need to go on. We need to be sympathetic. We need to be rejoicing and, and having that type of thing. And obviously, the next one brotherly. It comes from the word Philadelphia, okay, that we would say. And it is the idea of loving affection. And it's been an emphasis, this has been an emphasis of the book. We ought to be showing brotherly love. Look at it quickly, just in Peter. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Come on. one twenty-two. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere, here it is, love of the brethren. Chapter 2, verse 17. There it is again. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. We're in chapter 3, so we'll skip this one for a minute. Go to chapter 4, verse 8. We'll get there. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Sorry, that was uh, verse 9. Verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Where do we get there? It does overlook those small things. It doesn't carry them for five years. This happened to me and that person did this to me. Where's the love? Love will put that away. He wants us to function in a very practical way. It's also in Chapter 5. I'll stop here, though. But what you've got is he's been emphasizing that. We ought to be thinking the same way. We ought to be feeling the same things for one another. We ought to be involved in brotherly love, not just intent on in our program. And even with a church, you know, we're having, and I look forward to those meetings, and personally, I'm letting you know right from my heart, I think it's helped this church to improve vastly, my personal opinion. I remember when the first one was that I started, and I did it in this room, when I opened myself up and said, anything goes, let's talk about the ministry and how we, we can improve the ministry. And that's why now twice a year we do that as leadership. We just sit down and say, let's talk. What are we doing wrong? What, what can we improve? But even in that, if, if we would approach that and say, here's the direction we want to go, and we're not sensitive to feelings, we're not sensitive to the way people are, we're not working in harmony, we're not, the reason for meeting like that is to be of the same mind. It's to have the love, to have the compassion. We're to be kind-hearted. It's the fourth adjective he, he he uses. Interesting one. Interesting, certainly, to the medical field. Because it comes from the word that means the bowels or the intestines. Sounds pleasant, doesn't it? But that's the idea. And he, when he's talking about kind-hearted, he's talking about that which is inner. Not just the surface stuff. But that which is really making you function. And in, 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 in. The idea of coming from within. And so like, it's something like sympathetic, but it's deeper than that. Just like the intestines or the the bowels, if you are are deeper into the body. That's the concept here. And he's saying, we're to have a deep uh, tenderheartedness. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, just on this one. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll look at one of the verses. But I think you get the idea. Ephesians chapter 4 for one minute. And we'll look at verse 32 Be kind to one another, and here it is, tender-hearted. And it really comes from deep. You're kind on the outside, but then deep, you really have that heart so that you can do these things. Forgive each other. How? There's the the remembering, just as Christ forgave you. uh, God in Christ, I should say, read the verse right, also has forgiven you. That's the way we're to treat one another. We're to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. We're to be tender-hearted toward them just like the Lord was with us. It's illustrated, I'll, I'll give you the reference without turning. I think in First Thessalonians where Paul was talking about the fact, what an illustration that we can understand. Like a nursing mother cares for her child. That's this idea when it's talking about kind-hearted. How does a nursing mother care for a child? Oh, that's so precious and that the relationship that's there. And it says, that's how we ought to feel with one another. Do you feel that way with brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ? Where we're thinking the same way, where we're concerned about the overall picture? And obviously, there's the humbleness. That's the fifth adjective in the, in the, in the text. He says, we're to be humble in spirit. We're to have a humble mind. We're to think properly. I believe humility, so it's not false humility, is really to do a proper evaluation. The extremes is to have no humility at all, and you think more highly of yourself than you ought. And the other situation is the other extreme is to think yourself worthless, that I'm not worth anything. That's not humility. A humble heart is, and a humble mind is one who knows where they stand. I stand in Christ. I'm free in Christ. I belong to Christ. But also sees a bigger picture and knows their weaknesses, knows their strengths. That's true humility. And then yields to others and allows them to be put in the forefront, allows them and their ministry to be taken care of when it gets into practicality of ministries. So Peter gives a great challenge to all of us. Never mind if you, the last couple of weeks you say, well, I don't fit into the wives. I don't fit into the husbands. How do you fit into the body of Christ? Are you functioning with the same mind? Are you functioning with the same feelings? Uh, there's that brotherly love there. Is the kind-heartedness and humility. Then he gets into our responses. Which I've only got a few minutes to cover. But he gets in. And notice the contrast. Verse 9. Here's the responses to circumstances. Let me ask you this. How do you respond to people? How do you respond to circumstances? How do I? We're not to do it this way. Verse 9. Returning evil for evil. Or insult for insult. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Somebody does something evil to you, well, I'll get them back, or I won't talk to them for six years. Or somebody insults you, and you come right back, you get a better one to get at them, because you have to win in the argument. And by the way, this is an imperative, and this is now a personal interpretation. I think that Peter may be saying to them, stop doing this. I think that's a proper interpretation of the passage. Where he's telling them, you know, stop returning evil for evil and stop insulting others that have insulted you because that is what is in the old man. It is to get back at people. It is to insult them more rather than show kindness. And it happens more in our speech. We do it to dig. The insult is to dig, it's to hurt people. And that's sometimes what comes out. What are we to do? Rather than do that, blessing is to come out of our life. That's what he says. Rather than returning evil for evil and insult for insult, let the believers function in a way that we give a blessing instead. That comes from the word eulogy. If you think of it, be in prayer for me this week. I'm involved in two funerals um, coming up. And usually at a funeral, there's what's called the eulogy. Do You know what the word eulogy means, in case you're ever asked to do it? It means to speak well of somebody else. And that's usually what happens at a funeral. Somebody will speak well of somebody else. That's where this word comes from. It's the idea of praising someone, something that they did in their life and, and whatever. Well, Peter is making it clear and that that is what we are to do. We are to give a blessing. We are to speak well of others. Let's turn our Bibles very quickly to Ephesians chapter 4 again. I probably had, should have had you keep your finger there. By the way, that's one of the disadvantages of apps. You can't keep your finger in both places. Nothing against them, but it is. Isn't it? We, someone will come up with an app to figure that one out, by the way. Where are you, Peter? Oh, they have. So there you go. See, they bookmark or something. I, I knew they'd come up with something. But here's what we're to do. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no unwholesome words proceed out of, uh, from your mouth, but only, and here's a test for all of us. But only such a word as is good for edification. When I talk, do I really, does my speech really build people up? That's what he's saying. According to the need of the moment. If somebody has a need right now and you know it, is an insult going to help that? Is evil for evil going to help that even if they, what if somebody comes up to you and they attack you and you really can discern, you know, there's something wrong with their relationship with the Lord, their their heart's not right. What is the best thing to turn around and say, you jerk? Yeah, well, you think that's the way I am? Well, you're this way. Or is it to turn around and say, you know, maybe you're right. Let's pray about this. Or to think about how you can help them. That's the idea. What is needed for the moment? Then he goes on. He says, so that it will give grace to those who hear. When people hear you speak, do they come away saying, that was gracious? Oh, man, I hope I don't see that believer for another three weeks. Think about it. Think about it. Our words dig deep deep. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I personally believe that one of the things that grieves the Spirit of God in the context of Ephesians more than anything else is that little instrument that's sitting inside that I'm using right now, and that is our tongue. James says it's a flame of fire, it can destroy people. I can destroy someone's reputation by just what I say, I can hurt them so bad that they can't get over it for months. By the way I dig. He says that's not to be the way believers function. And by the way, here's something for you to jot down in your notes. I was thinking about it as I was studying. And you know what I became amazed at? I took a step back. It was the Apostle Paul. And I did this this week. You know what I did? I started to look at all the epistles he wrote. And I was amazed. How the Apostle Paul started off his epistles over and over again. And says, I thank God for you. I thank God that you came and you turned from idols to serve the living God. And you know where he said that to? That was Thessalonians. But you know where he also said it to? The Corinthian church. And he goes on to tell the Corinthian church, what is going on? You've got schisms. You're taking one another to court. You've got immorality going on. You got all. How did he start that epistle? I thank God upon every remembrance of you. He started off encouraging them. He started off by using words. He had to deal with some very difficult things, and he did. But he started off well. Do we render blessings? The reason of our calling is to inherit a blessing. I have to bring it to a close. But that's what he says in verse 9. He says, you've been called for this very purpose. What? To inherit a blessing. We have undeserved blessings in our life. We have forgiveness of sin. We sang about it this morning. There is no condemnation. When I was singing that song, I couldn't think of anything else but Romans chapter eight verse one. We have no condemnation, forgiveness of sins, a God that knows our heart and yet still loves us, and we look at others like their enemies in the body of Christ. What is wrong with us? You see, he's, he's Peter's pretty practical. He says, "You've inherited a blessing. You know what?" It was free for you. Give out a blessing freely to others. The point of verses 8 and 9, let me give you this. No matter how difficult your situation is, we are to make it our priority to represent Christ well to the world while we're living as citizens of heaven here by focusing on the needs of the body of Christ and ministering one to another in a godly way. That's what we're to do. And we fail badly. I fail badly. And I didn't get to it. Maybe just in quick summary, because I, I want to say a few things. We'll maybe I want to get into the next area, but let me just say this about verses 10 through 12. That's his support. His support for everything he said, and it comes... Let me give you a challenge. Read it on your own. Psalm 34. He goes back for everything he's saying about, look, at, have this mind. Be of the same mind, folks. Have a compassion for one another. Let it get deep down so it's not just sympathy, but it's a tenderheartedness. Really love the brethren as you should be loving the brethren. And, And not only that, have a humble spirit. And no matter what they do in the circumstances, if there's an insult or if they do something evil, don't return it that way, but return blessing. And he's going to support it with Scripture. And he's going to go to Psalm 34. And there's some things that I just want to look at on that with you, Lord willing, next time. But at least take away from it this morning. The goal of it all, the outcome of our being a Christian and being left here, is so that the world would see us in our homes, but also in the body. Functioning in such a way that they say they get something that I don't have. You know what it is? It's Christ. And let them be attracted to the gospel by the way we treat one another. And again, I say I've failed you as a pastor many times. And we've probably failed one another. What do we do? Browbeat ourselves? No. Pick ourselves up, ask God to forgive, and make it a point to make this a part of what we are doing so that God would get all the glory and honor. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for the word of God. I thank you for the heart of Peter. Thank you for the insight that you gave him. Lord, we talk about being of the same mind. We talk about being tender-hearted, loving the brethren. And, Father, we fail so many times. Father, we know that so often we are really thinking about our own programs, our own interests, ourselves, because that's what we know. Help us to be getting the mind of Christ, to be looking out for others, to be functioning in a way that's pleasing in your sight. For, Father, we know that we'll experience great joy in doing that. And, Father, we know that in our midst, there's people today who have not yet trusted in Christ. Can't even begin to understand this, how it could function that way. They haven't experienced the forgiveness of sins. We pray that you'd open up their heart to the gospel because the gospel will be seen in us and we would draw them and then we can tell them of the hope that lieth in us so that they too would be rejoicing and know the Savior. Thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.